Melanie was thrown from her horse restless. When it clipped the heels of another runner, she was trampled. Devastating. I, I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. It's... And it, yeah, it's just hard. Victoria's racing industry is mourning the tragic death of apprentice jockey Michaela Claridge, killed after a track work fall this morning in Cranbourne. On-course paramedics were unable to save the recently married 22-year-old who Good evening. Four jockeys have been injured in a shocking race fall at Murray Bridge. One of them airlifted to the Royal Adelaide Hospital. Reporter Eddie Godfrey is live at the hospital. Eddie, what do we know about the fall? Well, Brenton, the fall occurred during race eight at Murray Bridge just after four this afternoon. At least three horses and their jockeys Oh, well, I mean, the old saying is if you haven't fallen off at least 100 times, you can't call yourself a jockey. Whilst it's all well and good to highlight the immense joys that were had during Robbie's career as a jockey, a lot of people outside the industry, and even some within it, don't fully appreciate the sacrifices jockeys make in the name of the sport they love. Robbie's not unique in his experiences, but he is one of the lucky ones in that he made it out in one piece. Today on Understarter's Orders, we explore the ins and outs of riding through Robbie's eyes and beyond, and what happens if or when someone doesn't make it to the finish line. From restrictive diets, to precarious rides, to 4am starts, and wasting away in the sweltering heat of a local sauna, a jockey's lifestyle is no picnic. Speaking of picnics, perhaps it's best we start with a bit of a frank discussion about weight loss and food. Despite having no formal qualifications when it comes to nutrition, most jockeys are skilled in the art of understanding dietary regimes. They have to be in order to keep their weight down when it matters. And it matters. The diet for me consisted of uh, fruit in the mornings, um, salads. I tried not to mix carbohydrate and protein. For example, I tried not to have too much uh, sandwiches. I tried to... Um, minimised breads and uh, this, as I aged and had to be become stricter with diet I tried to have uh, no yeast so I used to have a uh, whop of rup bread which I used to buy from the health shop and uh, tried to restrict uh, salt and peppers and have no sugars. We've probably all experienced the feeling of hunger. You feel dizzy, you get stomach cramps and have zero energy. But these symptoms are fleeting and usually disappear once we have our next meal. What happens to your body when it's starving? As much as weight regulations have improved in the racing industry, the once upon a time expectations of the 80s made it almost impossible for any jockey to manage his or her weight healthily. And there wasn't any sort of prerogative to. But despite it allowing a win here or there, keeping your weight down so low does a lot to the body and the mind that many still to this day don't understand. Starvation occurs when your body's consuming fewer calories than those required to sustain life. It's most commonly the result of famine, extreme dieting, complete fasting for a cause or disease. Water and black coffee uh, was the theme. So you got used to it. You had some. You actually had really good, healthy uh, meals. So it was just a matter of learning what the nutrition was all about and what what you could mix with what, and, uh, and that's sort of how it worked. It's true what Robbie says. For a jockey to succeed in the art of keeping their weight down, it's about knowing intimately what works and what doesn't for their own particular body type and metabolism. And whilst it's fair to say that many jockeys are familiar with scant meals and wasting. Some are just naturally tiny. 
much to the envy of their peers. Most notably, one of Robbie's closest friends, Ivan Culliver, was notorious for enjoying an egg and bacon roll after a ride. Tomato sauce and all. My name's Ivan Culliver. I'm a retired jockey, uh, once employed by Robbie Griffiths and also been friends with him for a long time. Ivan is a bit of an anomaly in the racing industry in that he wasn't the product of his environment. In fact, his decision to become a jockey had nothing to do with his family or his upbringing. He just happened to be small, loved to bet and thought, what the heck? He was also an anomaly when it came to how he was able to keep his weight down, in that it didn't require much effort, if any at all. Uh, there was nothing that was restricted. <coughs> I'm light-boned, I've always been light, and amongst my friends I was hated. Well, I'd go to the races and want to pull up and get Maccas while they're sitting there in garbage bags with the heater on. A couple of times I had to ride very light when I was an apprentice. Uh, I had to ride one for Doug Harrison one day at, uh, no, sorry, Kevin Harrison at Sandown at 49, and I had to claim three, so I had to ride it at 46. So I had to go without a couple of meals, so I felt like my throat had been cut. Whilst there's something quite ironic about Ivan's capacity to ride at 40-something kilos and still be familiar with the taste of steak and eggs, he, like the rest of his associates and friends, don't always get off scot-free. As much as he loved the flavour of other things, he also knew the flavour of the turf pretty well, and it's caught a mouthful of dirt and a broken rib here or there. had a fair bit of luck because I probably had a dozen race falls. Some of them looked quite horrific, but uh, walked away at the end of it all with, um, over the course of my career, a couple of broken ribs, um, broken hip, broken collarbone, uh, a fair few concussions. I did knock myself out a bit, which this day and age I probably would have had to uh, sit on the sidelines for a lot longer than we used to back then. There was no uh, cognitive testing uh, when I was riding. It was knock yourself out and basically ride three races later if you want. It might be the sport of kings, but it's dangerous. Tasmanian researchers are hoping their work will help reduce the number of jockeys injured or killed in racing accidents. Almost a third of all accidents in Australian horse racing cause an injury, and one in 620 falls results in death. Being a professional jockey is a very dangerous occupation. There's no, there's no doubt about that. We can't beat around the bush. It is massive issues because, you know, you go to work and you, you've got to control a 500 kilo horse at race speed and you've got to be very alert. You're riding, you're not riding in lanes, it's not like driving on a freeway, you know, you know you're not in a lane there that you got to yourself. I mean, you're, you're supposed to be staying in a straight line, but there's somebody that's uh, out there wanting to pinch your lane. There's no friends on a racetrack, you know, it's uh, dog eat dog world as they say. You're out to win, uh, there's no second place in racing. It's, uh, you don't read about Bart Cummings in the Hall of Fame for 12 running seconds in the Melbourne Cup, it's about him winning, you know. You've got to be alert, your reflexes must be sharp, so if you're riding too light and you're not focused or you're unhealthy or you've been drained from riding too light by being too long in the sauna, you're dehydrated, your vision's not clear, your hearing's ringing because you're borderline, your blood pressure's too low, your vision's black and white, you can't hear properly, you're about to pass out. When you're about to pass out in a race, it's not much fun.
I'm uh, Paul Innes. Uh, I'm Chief Executive of the National Jockeys Trust, uh, formerly Chairman of the Trust. And um, I've been involved uh, in the racing industry through the Jockeys Associations and this Trust for approximately 20 years. I, I'd seen high profile riders receive significant support through um, a, a metropolitan club uh, fundraiser, yet I was aware of injured jockeys in country areas that there'd be nothing more than a chook raffle at the local pub. That was too inequitable. Paul Innes is a man passionate about the livelihood of jockeys in an industry as precarious and risky as Australia's horse racing industry. And on the National Jockeys Trust website, you'll notice a haunting list of fallen jockeys that feels like an endless scroll of names. Paul and the rest of his associates at the Trust have high hopes they didn't die in vain. And unfortunately, the industry didn't have a system in place uh, to really provide uh, meaningful support. So we, we, we set about establishing a charitable trust and, and that's what we did in 2004. As Robbie's career progressed, each time he fell or hit a bump in the road, things felt more difficult. Each meal he didn't eat left a weight on him greater than the one he was carrying in his muscles and bones. And the finish line in every race felt harder to reach. I was sort of tricked into retiring from riding for want of better uh, explanations. I, I was pig-headed and was never ever going to give up riding. I loved riding. I thought I always wanted to be a trainer but I'm not going to do that until I'm well into my 30s and I was I thought I was too young to be training it was you know it was something that you wouldn't get opportunities at a young age so I I didn't want to give up riding but um, my good friend Tony Vassell said give your body a rest like a horse that needs a spell and I thought what a great idea so I did Robbie's association with Tony Vassell was a rich one he was a stable rider for Tony before his brother Rodney took over, and he had a lot of success in Tony's stables as a jockey. Tony recognised himself in Robbie's difficulties, being an ex-jockey and a heavyweight himself. Robbie enthusiastically took up the position of Tony Vassell's foreman. It was a busy time because we'd been planning a wedding, a double wedding at that, and um, Robbie was happy at in his foreman role at Tony Vassell's uh, despite wanting to train. You heard Sharani correctly. The young couple were in the process of organising a double wedding, which proved to be quite the spectacle in Cranbourne and beyond. A double wedding is a wedding where two parties get married at the same time. And given the fact that Robbie, Rodney, Sharani and her sister Kerry were all planning to get hitched, it made all the sense in the world to line up their special days together. Given that, well, there were only two families involved, and like that, the two jockeys from Cranbourne married an enthusiastic pair of horse-loving sisters. Sharani and Kerry Ellis would become Sharani and Kerry Griffiths. It was going to be a marriage, and it, and, and it was going to be a double marriage. There was great how do you do about this wedding. They came from everywhere. It was in every newspaper, the Daily Double. They're both going to get, get married. Gary Ellis escorted not one, but two daughters down the aisle that day, 
and the entire church was packed with excitable bystanders. It was quite the sight. There was a wedding party full of jockeys. Given Sharani and Kerry's cultural heritage, there was a reception full of relatives that had travelled from Sri Lanka for the occasion. I remember Philip Moore was involved somewhere, somewhere along the line. And I think Philip Moore was the best man. I'm not quite sure of that, but Philip Moore was always hanging around. Speaking of Philby, he got into a bit of strife at the wedding. All dressed up and ready for the occasion, he and who he describes as the Griffiths football side of the double wedding, the guys, made their way from Gary's home to the church, only to end up in a little bit of trouble. Bloody car blew up on the corner of the hall road. I sat there, the council motor ran it for six months. I went up there and took the plates off it. <laughs> Just left it there. <laughs> Robbie had started a brand new life with a hilarious collection of wonderful friends such as Philby and a wonderful partner in Shirani. The days of wasting and collapsing from low blood pressure and not being able to see straight or even in colour felt like a distant dream. He could taste freedom, success and a brand new calling. It was time to pursue his career as a trainer. It really opened up my eyes to two different lifestyles of what I was doing, my passion for riding, um, the pros and cons, the pluses and minuses just didn't stack up. I loved it, I really did, and I'm glad he opened up my eyes to both lifestyles. So then uh, once I realised I couldn't do it, um, or couldn't maintain a healthy lifestyle doing it, is probably a better way of describing it, then I, um, I hung up the boots. I was pleased my last two rides were a win and a second and uh, hung up the boots and uh, concentrated on being healthy, eating normal and uh, could focus on training. It sounds a lot more straightforward than it actually was. The decision that Robbie made took time and consideration for a number of reasons and even a bit of back and forth. I can go back to the night before our wedding at rehearsals. He was 51 kilos and struggling to, struggling to manage that and we didn't go on a honeymoon uh, because he was concerned that by doing so his weight would increase and so he made a comeback in the January. We were married in the December. Firstly, as Robbie mentioned, he didn't feel old enough to change careers just yet. And secondly, it's not like he was a struggling jockey. He did well, he had work, he was young and a budding success whose determination shone through in every ride. Leaving the saddle, was a verdict not taken lightly by any stretch. All of a sudden, he was getting a ride in most, nearly every race. Bob Scarlett affectionately describes being able to anticipate Robbie's success upon getting to know him. He could ride a horse well, even before pursuing his career the way he did. Um, I think Robbie had wished that he, despite being a leading apprentice of the time, and a ducks of the BRC apprenticeship school twice. I think his biggest wish was that he could have achieved a group one success or ridden for a few more years and accumulated more winners in that period of time. It is a dangerous profession, but in saying that, you don't have that perspective when you enter the world of being a jockey, because if you do, you've got to really step aside. You need to be very uh, confident and uh, in your surroundings it's about going forward, it's about winning and, and, uh, and you want to ride the horses that you, you attach yourself to. But there were going to be other horses, 
plenty that Robbie came to love from the security of having both his feet on the ground at all times. And these horses would take him places he couldn't reach by wasting away. But he didn't know this yet, and alongside Shirani, the bittersweet end to his riding career meant starting from scratch. We were offered three or four horses actually from Tony Vassell's owners, and we agreed, we, we spoke to Tony and he was very happy for us to do that, so we started training. Actually, I think a couple of those horses were horses that Robbie had previously won on, so he'd already had a relationship with the ownership group, Jim and Jackie Mazuris and people like that. It was a humble beginning for the young couple, who were stretching their legs and trying to make waves in a corner of an industry they were both new to. Now, sorry, we need to go back a bit, because it appears there was a third member of the up-and-coming Griffiths Racing Stable at the time, none other than Mr Philip Moore. Just probably foreman, I was the only one there. It was only Sharon himself, and then as we got a little bit bigger, Dad come on board. Philby was their first and only employee at the time, and the three young adults worked tirelessly when it came to ensuring the horses were well-fed, cared for, trained, and performing at their best. Mr. Probably Foreman Philby Moore oversaw the operation as well as ensuring there was sufficient time in the work schedule for a Friday afternoon beverage or two. But as Sharani mentioned earlier, Philby, Robbie and herself were beginning to get to know horses from the perspective of trainers and one of those horses who cemented a spot in the minds and hearts of these three was none other than Spring Theme, whose nickname was Rusty. So Rusty was, uh, oh, he was affectionately known as Rusty, had boat attendant, he'd had a suspensory injury and Robbie'd spend hours trotting him up and down on the hard roads, just bringing his tendon into shape and he gave us also some big thrills over the carnival time. In fact, he, we'd only been training a minute and he'd run third in a Turek handicap a group one race and they'd run a course record that day and I think that record may still stand. I won his first start on him, and um, I think I won nine, about nine races on him, or nine or ten races. Uh, and he was a he was a very good horse, um, but he's just that length short of being a real top horse, you know, because he had leg problems all his life. Um, and Robbie did Robbie did a great job with him to keep him racing. You know, I think he raced him right to his about eight or nine years of age. It was a family affair. Rodney Griffiths, Robbie's brother, managed to secure some fantastic wins in Spring Theme's long career. One win was the Winter Championship Final at Flemington, where Spring Theme was sent out at $21, but clock passed for Red and Scalero as he charged home comfortably to the finish line. And there were others, most notably Go Rami. Oh, Go Rami was a fantastic horse. He was a, he was a sensitive horse, um, but he bought, we had some great thrills with him. He, he won pack, a Pakenham Cup for us. He went on and was a part of a winning double on Oaks Day over the Melbourne Cup Carnival. Dale Short rode, had a lot of success on him, but Ivan Culliver also rode him. Rodney, uh, I think Rodney won on him in the uh, Ballantyne Country Cup. And just like that, Robbie and Sharani were tied up in the lives of jockeys, ownership groups, old friends, and a small handful of promising horses, each with distinct personalities and strength. 
and the years, however long and difficult at times, progressed. So much so that the young retired jockey, a man in his early 20s, ended up taking on his very own apprentice. The days of being Bob Scarlett's shadow were long behind him. And three years into his training career, Robbie had his own young ally, the charming and cheeky Mark Goring. So Mark, um, Mark Goring was a young kid that uh, Robbie and Philby had seen at track work. He was a budding a rider. He wanted to be a jockey and he approached Robbie and asked him whether or not he'd be interested. And Robbie really liked him and we proceeded to have him indentured to us. He was a very enthusiastic kid. He was a bit of a character. He had a lot of get up and go. Uh, he was good fun and Robbie recognised those skills. He was a bit cheeky, which, you know, Robbie always said a good apprentice needed to be. They needed to be a bit tough and a bit cheeky. In 1994, Mark moved in with Robbie and Shirani. That same year, their first and only daughter, Madison, was born. So he moved into our house and he fitted in very well with the family, Robbie, myself and our daughter. Uh, even though she was a very new, like a newborn. In fact, we joke that uh, the very first word she said was Mark, and despite Robbie and I saying Mum, Dad, Mum, Dad. So, yeah, we've never, we hold that dear. Mark's career progressed, and the budding apprentice eventually moved out of Robbie and Chirani's humble abode, making sure to give their baby a cuddle before he continued on. He went on to be a father of two children himself, despite his partner Emma's worries about her own fertility. But on a hot January day in 2003, Mark was thrown from his horse in a race ride and sustained head injuries at Tatura. He later died, leaving behind a two-year-old daughter and Emma, who was heavily pregnant, with a little boy. We were always in touch with Mark throughout his riding career and we were proud for all the milestones. Every winter he rode we were cheering and then we got the news that awful day to say that there'd been a fall and that he'd been taken airlifted to hospital. We knew that he'd had a young daughter too and that his wife Emma was expecting uh, another baby. It's, it's a well-known fact that, you know, jockeys are, are followed around a race course by an ambulance, so it's probably the only profession that you go to work and have an ambulance follow you around, you know. So when you look at it through those, uh, through those lenses, you think to yourself, wow. Mark was a passionate, delightful young person, and his legacy lives on through various associations, memorials and fundraisers. However, in a strange and comforting turn of events, his legacy lives on closer to home. The baby who was kicking inside of Emma's pregnant belly when Mark was just a young man, the boy who never got to meet his father, turned out to be an apprentice jockey himself, who greets Robbie each and every morning with the same cadence and enthusiasm as his late father Mark. It wasn't until, yeah, he was 15 that he hopped on a horse and that was it. I had no chance of holding him back after that. He absolutely loved it. And, you know, it was something he always wanted to do. And um, I didn't want him to be 20 and turn around and say, my mum never let me do it. 
That's Emma Goring discussing her feelings surrounding her son Mitch's career. Despite her incredible amount of pride, Mitch's decision is a bittersweet one for Emma, who knows the dark side of the industry intimately. Robbie said to me, you know, he, he loves seeing his cheeky smile come in every morning and light up the room exactly like, you know, that's what Mark was like. Perhaps it's something many people don't realise, what it means being a jockey. It means trusting a 500 kilo horse with your life. It means waking up before the sun alongside your mates. It means dripping with sweat and tears. It means losing yourself in the hurrah of family and friends and owners on a crowded racetrack as you make it to the finish line. It means wrestling danger each and every day. But it also means being able to taste the sky. Thank you for listening to episode two of Under Starter's Orders. If you're invested in the progression of the story, make sure you leave us a review on iTunes. Next time, we get to know some of the stable greats that impacted Robbie's career early on and meet a couple of his early employees and friends and also start to understand what happens and how it feels when you lose a horse along the way. I'm your host, Greg Miles. Until next time, thanks for listening.